Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for joining us on Heritage Events Live. We're delighted to welcome you to a conversation with Latvian Minister of Foreign Affairs, Edgar Zrinkovich, strengthening economic dynamism, societal resilience, and transatlantic ties through the Three Cs Initiative. Please welcome our host, Daniel Kochis, Senior Policy Analyst in European Affairs for the Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom at the Heritage Foundation. We hope you enjoy the program. Well, good afternoon, good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us here at the Heritage Foundation for a very important discussion. The Three Seas Initiative was launched in 2016. It's a valuable project for strengthening trade, infrastructure, energy, and political cooperation amongst countries bordering the Adriatic, Baltic, and Black Seas. And a strong, prosperous, and secure Eastern Europe is in America's interests, and the 3SI plays an important role in making this happen. And here at Heritage, we very much believe that this is an initiative that can be uh, a sustainment of bipartisan support in the United States and also help to build uh, transatlantic bridges. Today, we are very, very grateful to be joined by Minister of Foreign Affairs of Afia, Edgar Rikovic. Edgar is, um, has been minister since October of 2021. You just passed uh, your anniversary. Actually, your anniversary is today, I believe, uh, the 25th. So we're grateful to have you here on a very auspicious day. Uh, you were also head of the Chancellery of the President of Latvia from October 2008 through October 2011. You serve as State Secretary in the Ministry of Defense of the Republic of Latvia from August 1997 until October of 2008. Uh, you also worked as the Chief uh, of the Office for Organizing the NATO Summit of Heads of State and Government in Riga, a very important summit uh, that happened in 2006. You graduated from the University of Latvia, where you received your master's degree in political science in 1997. From 1999 to 2000, you studied at the U.S. Um, National Defense University here in Washington. So you are uh, no stranger to the U.S. So thank you again for being with us today. We're um, very excited for this topic. And I'm, I'm not sure about you, uh, Mr. Minister, but sometimes I always cringe a bit when I hear Latvia described as uh, a post-Soviet republic in, in some uh, articles. I think it's a little bit of lazy journalism, but there are real structural legacies of uh, Soviet occupation in your country and in the wider region uh, that impact the Three Seas Initiative. Can you talk a little bit about how these manifest sort of as, as economic disadvantages? Well, first of all, good afternoon and thank you for having me. And indeed, uh, you are absolutely right that uh, we get uh, really very upset that uh, sometimes some of journalists are still using this kind of uh, definition of Latvia or, or other Baltic states as the former Soviet republics. We were never be part of the Soviet Union on our own free will. That was the period of Soviet occupation. But you are also right that uh, actually those 50 years of the occupation uh, has left uh, some challenges that we still need to address. Uh, and uh, those challenges are, first of all, transportation and energy. Uh, as we speak, we are uh, working on uh, deconnecting from uh, the so-called Brel network, that's uh, uh, electricity network of uh, 
Russia and Belarus. Uh, the Baltic states are still part of it, and we are working with the, the assistance of the European Union partners to connect to the European network. That project should be completed by 2025. Uh, we also work on the high-speed railway, Rail Baltica, uh, that also now is already advancing well. So one of uh, top priorities and also to some extent challenges that we are facing is to get connected also in very practical terms to Europe and uh, also to address some of uh, those legacies of, uh, of being part of, uh, forcefully being part of the Soviet Union. And also the Three Seas Initiative, as you mentioned in your introductory remarks, is uh, already uh, more than five years old. And it started actually as a kind of political conversation. But I'm very glad to see that actually it evolved in a very practical, uh, three-dimensional, um, let's say, cooperation framework uh, among the countries of the Baltic, Black, and Adriatic Sea. And those three dimensions are digital, energy, and transportation. And uh, I think that it is very important to understand that uh, uh, all of countries of the region are struggling to some extent on how to make the region more competitive, uh, how to attract uh, more investment from the United States, from Japan, from um, what we call the Western world, and especially how to invest in uh, digital competencies, how to invest in renewable energy sources, how to address also dependency on, uh, let's say, one supplier, Russian gas, or I already mentioned electricity. And finally, also how to connect ourselves from Tallinn and Riga to Warsaw to, to Budapest and maybe ending up in, in Zagreb or, or Ljubljana. That's right. Th thank you for that. Um, it's certainly an interesting time, I think, to be talking about threes, as you said now, five years. Um, Latvia will host the seventh uh, summit uh, in business forum next year in, in 2022. Uh, your president has called the 3SI um, to be brought to the next level. And so what, what does that mean to you? I mean, can you share a little bit about uh, the program for the initiative that you'll be looking towards uh, next year? Well, uh, what we have seen is really great work done by, I would say, previous coordinators. There is no kind of presidency or chairmanship, I would say, coordinators. Uh, we just had a great summit in Bulgaria, uh, in Sofia, before that in uh, Tallinn, Estonia. Uh, what we want to see uh, and what our program is, first of all, we want to somehow complete the creation of uh, so-called uh, three uh, Seas Initiative Fund. Many of the countries of the region have already put, uh, let's say, their investment. Uh, the first projects are being considered. Well, we very much hope that also the U.S. administration will make a decision about um, equity uh, financing of the fund, put some uh, investment. The same applies also to some other countries outside of the region that are interested. Uh, we very much hope to see also the high-level attendance from the United States, from Japan, from the United Kingdom. Uh, that's one. Uh, second, uh, we also are working now how to attract uh, 
the interests uh, of countries that are uh, not members of Three Seas Initiative or the European Union. For instance, there is great interest in Ukraine. And I think that it's another way how we can actually assist Ukraine, especially now taking into account what is happening with energy yep. dependency things and okay. challenges posed there. And third, uh, I don't know how um, successful we are going to be, but at least also to find a way how to attract uh, more uh, investors from outside, uh, private investors, is there. Uh, why I'm saying I'm not sure, because when we are talking with investors, they also are putting, for instance, ideas that we now need to create a kind of uh, three C's secretariat. We are actually considering also uh, this uh, direction of put more organizational frame because currently you know it's a kind of free floating initiative coordinators are changing uh, most probably the summit in 2023 is going to happen somewhere on the shores of the black or adriatic sea because this year this is uh, 2022 it's um, uh, the baltic sure and uh, but we also see that we need to have more organizational framework we need an office where investor can actually call and ask some questions. And uh, yes, we need to complete this um, fund in a way that it's then fully funding uh, and also able to provide necessary financing to those projects in the field of digital uh, energy or transportation connectivity. You've definitely hit on a few topics, I think, that I wanted to address today. And one of them was this idea of expanding the Three Seas Initiative to non-EU countries. So right now, this is this is just made up entirely of, of uh, European Union members. And so you would support, then, it sounds like, expanding it to places like Ukraine, the Western Balkans. We are ready to start the first step, uh, inviting them to participate as observers. That's the first step everywhere. Um, Yes, there is an interest, as I said, uh, in Ukraine, uh, and we see this as the additional way how to strengthen the resilience, economic resilience of the country. Yes, there is an interest also in the Western Balkans. Now, for instance, in uh, Montenegro, we also discussed this issue with my colleague, Foreign Minister of Montenegro. Uh, but then I think also uh, we need to have all members of the initiative to agree and we need also to find the cooperative framework and that's also something that we are going to spend our time till the summit the cooperative framework uh, when we can uh, include also those non-eu member states and to start developing relationship uh, are we going to admit new members to the initiative that are non-eu members i doubt i think that it takes time and it takes some work but uh, to find the ways how we can involve them, yes, that's that's part of our agenda. Thank you for that. You mentioned as well the Three Cs Initiatives Investment Fund. So this is a mechanism to draw in private sector financial support. It was launched um, a few years ago in 2019, and so far, as far as I know, the fund has invested in three projects: um, a, a rail project. Uh, the second project was a data center platform, green energy data centers, and the third, which was much more recent, was a renewable energy developer. 
There are currently, uh, last I checked, 93 C's interconnection priority projects listed. Uh, so that's quite a few. Eight of those are, are Latvian. And so how do you think that we avoid this trap of sort of devolving into some sort of parochialism? And so, you know, one country says, well, you know, there's been six projects which have been supported, which were ones that we put forward, but another country says, well, I only have two. I mean, how do you overcome that? Maybe it is some sort of secretariat um, that, that sort of is seen as more of an impartial arbiter. Uh, clearly, all these projects, though, are getting approved through um, because they're good financial investments for, for investors, and so they have a high likelihood of a return on investment. But, but how do you see that? Well, you are touching on a very interesting subject. Yes, uh, I think that uh, the main uh, policy line here, if I may uh, define this this way, should be that uh, all projects are uh, reviewed in accordance with business standards and, and, and benchmarks. And that uh, only if uh, experts and the board of the 3Cs initiative found see that uh, those projects uh, are in compliance with our policy goals on connectivity and also they are sound from, from business point of view, then they are moved forward. The problem with such um, initiatives and funds, especially when governments are investing, especially when you have uh, so uh, diverse group of, of countries, is that, of course, ultimately, everyone is going to look at it and say, uh, wait a minute, uh, my neighbor has got six projects, or at least, uh, sure. let's say, uh, projects originating in that country has been considered as sound from the business point of view, from, from, from this kind of uh, policy point of view. But I have got none or one. Right. And I think that inevitably we are going to, to face this challenge. Uh, and here I think this is very much depending on how strong the board of the three Cs initiative fund is going to, to work, how uh, they are going to, let's say, uh, defend this, uh, this line and uh, being able to explain and to show why that or another project has got priority and gets funding and that or another project has not been considered sound. But I think inevitably we will have to face that uh, challenge. My take currently is that we are still in the phase where we are trying to attract more government financing to the fund. And of course, the second stage is also how to attract more private investment uh, into or, or at least co-sponsoring, uh, co-financing of those projects. But if we get uh, also the solid uh, involvement of the private investors, then this problem is going to be partly solved as well. But yes, this challenge uh, is going to be there. I'm, I'm, I'm not so uh, naive to think that everything will go smoothly, no. Well, thank you for that very candid uh, response. Uh, and, and so you also hit on a few other issues around the investment fund. One is the contributions from governments. So the U.S. Um, is a contributor. Uh, which I think we'll touch on in a bit, but uh, nine of the 12 members uh, have contributed, I think, um, 
And so how do we get 100% contributions and how do we bump up the contributions of those who've already made uh, outlays? That's, that's one component. And the second is the private sector investment. And so um, this program was created, this investment fund was created because it was supposed to bring um, uh, gains uh, to investors who put in. So um, somewhere around 12 to 15% expected gross return, I think, for projects. Um, I read through the three C's investment front. So those, those are really great margins. Um, what are the barriers to increasing private investment in the three C's investment fund from your perspective? Let's first start uh, with what you already outlined. Not everyone of the three C's initiative founding members has contributed. Uh, let's face it, uh, also back home in Latvia, when we were making that decision about contributing, well, 20 million euros in the fund, uh, that was the decision taken last September or October, if I'm not uh, mistaken. We also uh, had to work uh, a lot with our Ministry of Finance, because uh, as the guardian of uh, the Treasury and the uh, taxpayer money, uh, Ministry of Finance was very carefully reviewing uh, terms of reference uh, of the board uh, of the fund uh, also is there going to be a private uh, investment as well and I know that in some other countries that have not made yet those decisions about the contribution also ministries of finance are asking many questions so uh, I do hope that uh, actually uh, this would be also the first encouragement to the private investors seeing that governments have committed funds not only governments of uh, the three c's initiative but also countries like the united states maybe uh, could be some other uh, countries outside of this initiative but who would be interested in uh, seeing a good uh, return on investment and sometimes in, in the future that would be the first uh, encouraging signal to private investors as well. Second, yes, uh, we are uh, actively working, uh, and uh, for instance, President of Latvia and President of Poland both had uh, extremely interesting uh, meeting uh, with some of US investors hearing what would be those uh, incentives or conditions or what could be of interest to, to, to let's say, investor companies uh, banks to, to, to look into the direction of the 3Cs initiative fund. And I think that uh, we obviously heard there is a huge interest in um, things that are related to cybersecurity, uh, digital uh, economy, even those who are not doing that part of, uh, let's say, investment, even if they are working in other Fields. They said that things where you have uh, more standardized uh, cybersecurity things, protecting financial services, are of great interest to them. Uh, and also, uh, we saw that uh, there is also, to some extent, questions uh, asked, uh, uh, let's say, are those uh, projects or initiatives that could be funded by the 3Cs initiative uh, 
let's say, not related with other big players, for instance, China. And I think that's also those political considerations. And of course, I'm a politician, not a businessman, but I've heard those political considerations also important. And finally, yes, of course, at the end of the day, uh, each and every investor wants to see that the money comes back uh, safely and also with, with some, some additional interest. So uh, I, I saw that there is still an interest in renewable energy, but I saw that uh, still we are talking also about LNG terminals, especially uh, when it comes to US. And yes, we, we, we still talk a lot about, um, and one of the projects you mentioned, the data center on, on green, uh, green economy. Uh, yes, we talk about uh, a lot about creating the data centers, the kind of uh, digital projects that uh, would actually be of interest in uh, more global schemes, not only the regional ones. Thank you. That was uh, very comprehensive. And, and I think that you, if I could pull on a few threads from your, your remarks, one of them is you talked about sort of the, the new economy and some of these uh, green initiatives and, and data centers. Do you see the pandemic as having unlocked opportunities uh, for your growth in Latvia, for restructuring your economy, opening new growth sectors that may not have been present before, and perhaps 3C is being a driver of that for the region? Well, um, with all lockdowns, with all the restrictions that we have had uh, during the year and a half, and unfortunately the COVID uh, situation is, uh, has worsened uh, and we, we had to go to some more restrictive measures again. Uh, we have seen that the export uh, of services, export of some industrial production has actually risen. And that has kept economy, well, with some uh, quarters because of the closed uh, tourism, aviation sector, hospitality industry was affected. But, but the production and services side uh, has actually increased. We still expect pretty good numbers this year. And I think that uh, when it comes, for instance, to the digitalization, uh, we have seen that uh, because of all those uh, meetings, the government working, the parliament working uh, digitally, many of uh, companies where it's possible going digital, there has been quite a boost. Um, for, the, for government, uh, we have actually seen increase of the digitalization, I don't know how many times. Uh, we don't do almost any paperwork at all anymore. Everything that I have to sign as the foreign minister when it comes to the internal government uh, work, it's being done digitally. Uh, people are actually doing a lot of business with the government from taxes to appointments uh, to get passports or to, 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 to get whatever they need, uh, mostly digitally. Well, of course, there are still open opportunities for those who are not so familiar with, uh, with digital tools. That's there. But I also see that there are more, um, let's say, ideas expanding. For instance, we have a very strong uh, digital 
uh, sector in, in Latvia, uh, both when it comes to, to, let's say, hardware solutions, and also when it comes to, let's say, software and, and developing those things. Right now we are uh, seeing that we can do, and probably that could be also a good uh, incentive for 3Cs initiative uh, fund uh, to consider that as the project. For instance, we know how huge challenge is semiconductors and uh, uh, working on, on semiconductors. That's one opportunity where, where you can look uh, both ways to attract investment, to start uh, good cooperation with within this uh, circle or even going to, to the United States. So I think that actually uh, we have seen uh, three things uh, as lesson learned from pandemic. One, uh, I think we all hate uh, Zoom meetings now. We all hate this digital kind of discussion. Uh, we all would love to have this room full of people and to discuss it in more uh, listening, but then we understand that there are things that we will now do in a hybrid way. The second, I think that there has uh, now uh, more uh, understanding that you should invest more in critical infrastructure, in critical industries, and you should do things and you should produce things more in Europe, in the United States, in, let's say, in the Three Seas region. I still remember that uh, I had to personally almost talk with, with our ambassadors in Asia uh, when the COVID started to find where we can buy additional masks, protective equipment, because all of a sudden everyone was rushing. I think that we also see, and this is the last uh, thing, that to some extent the way how much we were consuming data, how much we were working online, and still are going to work, that we need also to strengthen what and, and to develop 5G autonomously from some big players outside of, let's say, your Atlantic community, and that there are still many things where we will need to invest and to make what we call sometimes strategic autonomy in Europe, but I would expand this strategic autonomy to the broader region brought up a, a number of good points. You know, for me, the Three Seas Initiative has the business component. And so from the U.S. side, I think for, is for U.S. investors and for the U.S. government, it's tying the U.S. to what was before the pandemic, the most productive and growing sector uh, country, a set of countries uh, in, in Europe, and I think will be post-pandemic. But there's also the, the geopolitical implications. And so you talked about this at the beginning of your remarks, that this really started as sort of a a political conversation. And when you think about um, the three pillars of the Three Seas Initiative, their energy, which uh, clearly has a, a Russia component, and then the digital and the transportation um, are those areas which are mostly vulnerable to China. And so the pandemic that you've discussed a few times, I think, really has reminded us um, that oftentimes um, needing certain components or certain products uh, that are made in, in countries which are adversaries put you at a disadvantage, um, and that was exploited, I think, oftentimes by uh, China and Russia in, in the early days of the pandemic. And so this counterbalance, um, how do you see that? Um, can you speak to this, this facet of wanting to sort of stymie Chinese-Russian efforts to build inroads uh, in, in the region? You know, how do you see the Three Seas Initiative playing that 
uh, important role in, in terms of sort of a blocking mechanism, but also bringing in countries like the U.S., the U.K., Germany, uh, those investment dollars and, and euros? Well, definitely, uh, I would say that uh, when this conversation about the three C's initiative started, and I was present in the first ever meeting, uh, uh, I think it was in New York, and uh, it was very much uh, proposed and hosted by the Polish and Croatian presidents. Right. We are talking uh, a lot about uh, actually how to attract more EU funding at that point because of the cohesion policy, because of all uh, what we had, and there was understanding, that was a couple of years ago, that uh, while we are uh, doing better and better as EU members, if you compare, let's say, year 2004 when we sure. joined, and at that point sure. it was year 2015-2016, that, uh, of course, those EU funds are going to decrease over the time, because the more uh, economically advanced you get, the less funding you get, and of course everyone would want to reach that point where from recipient you become a donor in the European budget because it shows that your economic situation, living standards are, are improving. But of course we understood also that uh, it's not going to be a very quick and easy road. Uh, but with some things developing, uh, this conversation quickly turned in not so much on how we can actually cooperate better to, to, to use European funds to get connectivity, but more it was seeing that our expectations from uh, the cooperation with China, especially through, it used to be 17 plus one, now it's 16 plus one format, are not living up to, to where we placed hopes. That very often uh, the economic cooperation is linked to that or another political agenda. Also seeing that, uh, especially in the digital field, uh, implementing 5G networks uh, also has clear security implications. Data uh, protection, mm -hmm. uh, all those things, and this um, let's say, understanding developed almost as 3C's initiative developed. I remember that, let's say, in 2012, 2014, we were not talking about those things. Uh, we were talking about the need to have, that was prior Crimea, that was prior to some events also in relations with China, we were talking that we need to somehow balance uh, our disagreements on the political front with sound economic engagement with those two countries. But uh, if energy is being used as a kind of political weapon to extract some kind of concession, if uh, investment in, um, let's say, um, logistical routes or Belt and Road initiative is also coming with some strings attached, then finally uh, there was understanding that uh, maybe 3C's initiative cooperation in our region could uh, be alternative to those, let's say, influences. And uh, yes, uh, I think that what we see currently with energy prices soaring in Europe. If you look at Moldova example where uh, they are negotiating currently the new 
gas contract and the price is, is huge, then you understand, and also our own experience in, in Latvia and in the Baltic states showed that when you are 100% dependent, you get a price tag you have to pay. Since 2017, uh, we have actually uh, unbundled our, our gas sector and even if there is increase of the gas price because there is the global tendency, you also see that uh, we now have also some alternatives. The same goes for, for electricity, the same goes also for some logistical and transportation networks. So, yes, I would say that uh, our own experience so far, showing that the greater competition there is, the, ultimately the consumer is, is the winner, in this case probably three these initiative countries, uh, lead me to say that we see uh, definitely also in both geopolitical and geoeconomic terms this initiative as kind of protective mechanism, also development mechanism from, let's say, uh, some influences from, from authoritarian states where economy and politics, sports and politics are all often very much mixed. Thank you. Uh, and I would uh, be remiss, I think, if uh, I didn't uh, allow a question from the audience. So perhaps we'll, we'll take one of those. Atea, over to you. Thank you. One of our virtual attendees asks the following. How did the gas crisis in Europe and the rise of gas prices provoked by Gazprom affect Latvia? Well, uh, I would say that uh, I see a bit broader this issue. I think that it's uh, also very much related to the gas consumption in many of Asian countries. And I think that this is also driving the price. Uh, I wouldn't say that only Gazprom and only Russia plays a role here, uh, but I say that uh, indeed um, we already see that the average household needs to pay uh, more uh, the gas bills. Well, it varies a little bit, of course. It depends. Either you are uh, very much dependent on your uh, heating uh, only on gas or electricity, but uh, increase is, is reaching up to 30 to 40% for the household. And again, this is the average. You can, you can find even greater bills or, or, or not so great. And yes, uh, we see that uh, at least for this winter, this is going to be a challenge and quite a challenge for many of households to pay the bills. The government is currently considering also some uh, balancing mechanisms, especially for those uh, groups that are uh, in, in most need. European Council was discussing also the European-wide response. It's not only Latvia, it's I think that now each and every EU member state. And there is variety of proposals from uh, freezing, uh, let's say, gas prices as, let's say, some of countries uh, in the EU are considering to uh, probably also uh, decreasing uh, energy taxes or uh, VAT taxes or subsidizing, as I said, those particular groups in the need. And also the government of Latvia is currently considering uh, the kind of 
package that could a bit mitigate, uh, not completely, let's say, uh, pay for for that increase, but mitigate uh, some effects on on, on the economy and on, on people. That's um, that's great. I know one of the priority projects that Latvia has listed is another uh, LNG import terminal uh, for the region, which, as you mentioned, um, the current one and uh, Lithuania helped diversify supply. Um, certainly, the price of, of LNG is still quite high because of the Asian demand, but um, it definitely is a nice sort of released pressure valve. Um, I know we're running a little short on time, but I did want to get uh, perhaps a couple of provocative questions maybe in. Uh, on, uh, one of them was, you know, sort of how you see this interplay between uh, the European Union and the Three Seas Initiative. So you mentioned, of course, the development funds, uh, which go to a lot of countries in the region. Is there sort of a view, you think, in Brussels that somehow the Three Seas Initiative is in competition? Um, do you think that that's a problem to be overcome? And, and how does the initiative get other large countries in Western Europe, uh, the French, the Germans, to make contributions? Um, that's one question. Uh, another one is uh, around uh, the United States. So you're here in Washington. You've had a number of meetings uh, over the past few days and week uh, in, in D.C. This, I think, is an issue um, that has wide bipartisan support in Congress. I think many people see the value to the U.S. of the Three Seas Initiative. It was, of course, very strongly supported by the Trump administration, which pledged uh, matching contributions up to a billion dollars from the United States. Do you see that support continuing with the Biden administration? Do you see it as more lukewarm, or do you think that they're going to um, as well sort of throw their support behind this initiative, similar to the Trump administration? Well, first of all, about the EU and the uh, EU's attitude towards the Three Seas Initiative and some of the greater uh, EU member states. First of all, uh, EU Commission is always invited to be part of summits. Uh, the president of the Commission, Mr. Juncker, for instance, attended Bucharest. There is also high-level attendance on, on those political events. And of course, we keep posted uh, our EU colleagues on where we are heading. And we don't want to see the Three Seas Initiative as a kind of uh, contradictory to what the EU does. However, there are, of course, some points that we always need to take into account. For instance, energy connectivity. And, uh, you know, we have a very ambitious uh, climate change program, so-called Green Deal or, or, or Green Energy. And we have to be extra careful that, uh, let's say, if we approve that or another project, when it comes to energy, that it is still not going to completely different direction from what the general EU policy is. So, for instance, putting more emphasis on the renewable energy projects that actually are in line with the general EU policy is, is the smart move. To start to build another coal factory somewhere wouldn't be probably the greatest idea of 21st century. Uh, the same goes to uh, digital economy issues, especially, uh, unfortunately, what I see is that we would love to see EU moving faster when it comes to providing more standards on cybersecurity, cyber protection. It's uh, very difficult uh, to, to get a uh, general EU approach, but we also see, and I mentioned that earlier, that we need to have more also, uh, let's say, cybersecurity measures if we really want to, uh, to see 
uh, more investment that people are secured, securely investing their money. And then big countries, uh, also Germany, uh, is an uh, observer. Uh, the uh, German foreign minister, I'm, I, I forgot who was attending the last summit, but I know that the previous summits were attended by by, by high-level German representatives. So we also uh, see the Germany as a very important player in this. Uh, there is also interest by some uh, countries uh, on the Baltic Sea. We have talked about this with our Finnish friends. We have talked about this about also with our uh, Swedish friends. Uh, so. Uh, from that point of view, I don't see much of, uh, let's say, uh, trouble uh, between, let's say, European Union institutions or big EU member states and the Three Seas Initiative countries. Uh, because we, we try to be as transparent as possible. And I think that it works now. And I think that they see the value of regional cooperation. And look, if you look at uh, other regional cooperation projects, we have had EU strategy on the Baltic Sea, EU Danube strategy. So actually, there is a bit kind of encouragement also on the part of EU to to have also some regional, uh, let's say, settings. Uh, so that would be answering your first question. The second question. Um, Yes, we, we, we talked a lot about the uh, CC's initiative this time, uh, both publicly and, and privately. And uh, we are hoping that there is going to be the high-level US attendance in Riga, as there has been uh, high-level attendance in the past. Uh, cabinet secretaries, well, we had also in Poland uh, attendance at the level of the President of the United States when there was this Three Seas Initiative Summit. So that's something that uh, I hope will work out. Um, I know how hectic is the schedule of everyone here in Washington, and uh, if we talk about the dates of the summit, most probably June 2022 is somewhere you know uh, light years sure. apart. So. We, but we are starting already to make uh, moves. Uh, second, yes, we uh, do hope that uh, there is going to be also uh, substantial uh, contribution from the US government uh, in uh, the kind of equity financing format. And uh, we talked also about this. I understand this is internal uh, government process here in the United States, uh, and this is being considered. When and how, I don't have the answer right now, but I think it would be very important that uh, there is a kind of uh, continuity uh, from previous administration to the current one because of all those elements we just discussed. And I do hope that uh, finally we will also see uh, a solid presence of both political level, but also uh, financial contribution level and, and also investor uh, level in, in Three Seas Initiative. So I'm optimistic. Uh, I see that uh, the current administration sees the value 
President Biden uh, addressed the Three Seas Initiative, um, let's say, issues, as well as Secretary Blinken. So uh, I think that also this political uh, interest will materialize in, in more practical cooperation, as we were already earmarking. That's wonderful. I, I think, uh, Mr. Minister, that that's a, a great note to end on. Um, here at Heritage, as you know, we've been huge supporters of the Three Seas Initiative. We're likewise hoping that the Biden administration picks up the baton and continues the strong U.S. support, sending high-level representation and continuing to increase uh, U.S. investments through the fund. And so, uh, once again, thank you so much for uh, your time today at Heritage and for really what was a very, very substantive conversation. Uh, the Three Seas Initiative, the rubber is really uh, hitting the road. It's, it's meeting it, and we look forward to uh, the Riga uh, Summit next year and to the outcomes of that. So thank you again thank you uh, much for, for the conversation. Me.